How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. We have a special topic for you today. Leadership lessons learned from Ted Lasso. That's right. You're not hearing things. We're going to focus today's episode on a smash hit TV show called Ted Lasso to see if there are any lessons that we can walk away with and apply with our employees. And to use one of Ted Lasso's many infamous quotes, and I quote, if that's a joke, I love it. If not, can't wait to unpack that with you later. End of quote. Well, it's not a joke and you don't need to wait because we're going to unpack this right here, right now on the jam session. And to help me unpack this topic, I brought back a couple of guests who've been on previous episodes, Paul Catanzaro and Kim Metcalf. Paul, Kim, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Thanks, Rob. All right. So the both of you have been on a few episodes before with me. And just to give those of you out there some background on how we know each other, the three of us used to work together several years ago. I reported into Kim. Kim was my manager and she was the head of a of a large training department. I was responsible for management training and Paul used to report into me. He was one of my training managers. And so I'm not sure if we can make any correlations to our time together and, and the Ted Lasso show, although we could probably have a whole segment on the office because it felt like that on many, many days. But let's dive into Ted Lasso. So Paul, you reached out to me. So I'll give you credit. You reached out and said, hey, you know, I think this would be great to have a discussion on your podcast about Ted Lasso and, and any leadership lessons that we can walk away with. So, Paul, let me turn it over to you and, and maybe you can give your perspective on why you think this would be a good topic to discuss. Yeah, th- thanks, Rob. So, so for anybody that's not familiar with Ted Lasso, if you're one of the five or 10 people in the world that hasn't caught one of the two seasons, <laughs> Ted Lasso is basically Jason Sudeikis, and he is an American football coach who wins a small championship and gets selected to go overseas with no knowledge whatsoever to a small town uh, in England, Richmond, and take over a Champions League, which is the highest level soccer team, and to lead a team of soccer players with no knowledge whatsoever of the sport. And so he has a lot of success, obviously, as he takes over the team, although he had a lot of resistance in the beginning. I don't know, Kim, what are your thoughts? You think there's there's any leadership lessons here that we can talk about? Because you watch the show. Yep, I watch. I watched both seasons. Um, I think there's there's too many to mention in an hour. It, it seems like an unlikely situation where you have someone there that doesn't know anything about the sport being the head coach. But as you know, it seems to me like this is going to be very far-fetched and what this is going to be about. But after the first or second episode, I was seeing things and I knew what the show was going to be good, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's quite a bit that can be taken from this and applied to leadership of teams. All right. So what's the one lesson that kind of stands out to you as you watch the show? Well, I I think there's different lessons as you go through, but I think the first lesson that stood out to me early Mm -hmm. in the first first couple episodes was know your people and respect your people. And I think what you saw in the episodes, early episodes, Ted Lasso wasn't so worried about learning soccer. I mean, he was just worried about learning the basic rules of the game as opposed to strategy and all that kind of stuff. And he didn't spend really much time on that at all. What you saw him doing was getting to know each of the players on his team 
Mm-hmm. And he used a very broad definition of team. It wasn't just the people playing soccer. It was the equipment manager. It yeah. was the head of operations. It was his boss. Literally anybody that he came in contact with, you know, that had anything to do with that football club, you could see he viewed them as the team. And his job was to get to know every one of them individually. There was a method to his madness. I worked for a leader. And I remember when I first became a frontline leader, I was so overwhelmed with all of the the dashboard and the paperwork and the expense reports and all this stuff. And I was getting myself really worked up. He said, just stop. The only thing you have to do right now is get to know your people. That's the only thing you need to have to do. And, you know, I resonated with me, particularly from my personal experience and his guidance as I'm watching Ted Lasso. And, you know, for the first however many episodes, he really was focusing his time on getting to know his people. Yeah, totally agree. Paul, what do you think? I think Kim makes some excellent points. It only took me a couple episodes. I've watched both seasons as well. What really kind of struck me is very early on is a couple of tenets that I hold really dear from a coaching and leadership standpoint, and that's building trust and then accountability. We can all look back in our careers and think about times whether we were new on a team uh-huh. or we took over a new group of people or a team. And it's that whole, you know, because you can tell people all about yourself. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to be this and I'm going to do this and here's our expectations. They need to see it. And they need to see you know, the chemist point that you care about them as much as you tell them you do. And yeah. you really have their back because trust is earned. And, you know, being accountable to people and people being accountable to you kind of shapes that culture and that trust because he is essentially going to a place that had a terrible culture. And, you know, and you look at the formation of the individuals he comes in contact with uh, throughout, throughout the episodes and the two seasons. And it's almost anyone, whether they were, in a team situation or worked in an office or anywhere, they can relate to those individuals mm-hmm. that he he comes in contact with and how he deals with them and what how the path could go differently if he didn't take uh, the path that he did. Uh, I think there's some some great lessons there on, on trust and accountability. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, when you think about um, situational leadership and you think about how the people who are being led look at the leader, when you have those there's two buckets, competence and commitment. And, you know, I think this is a perfect example. He was completely incompetent as a soccer coach, you know, purely the soccer part of it. But we saw in action what he was doing. He was demonstrating through getting to know his people, through doing what he said he was going to do, you know, to what Paul said, building trust. He was demonstrating his commitment. And we know that when you demonstrate high levels of commitment to people who you're working with, if you're not so competent yet, they're going to cut you a little slack mm-hmm. because they know how, how much you're committed to doing what you say you're going to do. And it was amazing as you're watching through those two episodes. I won't say he really got wildly competent as a soccer coach, but he certainly got better over time. Yeah. And it, it was really, you know, you think back on some, you know, things that we apply in leadership training and, and teach people tools. It, it was a, a straight example that high commitment, low competence for a new manager in a yeah. situation. And he developed it over time. Here's my take on it. This show is fascinating. There's been a lot of discussion around, a lot of buzz out there in the leadership space around this show. I mean, it comes up in my workshops. Most recently, it came up a couple of times about Ted Lasso and some of the leadership lessons there. I find it really fascinating that he was brought in basically to fail. That was the whole reason 
that he was brought in the owner or uh, was it Rebecca, right? Who, yeah. right. Her whole plan was I'm going to bring this guy in. He doesn't know a thing about soccer because I want him to fail. So that way, uh, you know, there was other motives that she had for that. What's interesting is what she didn't realize was the leadership skills that he brought to the table. If we think about this, how many times have we seen leaders who got promoted or individuals who got promoted because they had like this pedigree behind them, but were terrible leaders. And there's many out there who are kind of like more behind the scenes who have exceptional leadership skills that can move in and out of many positions without the technical knowledge, but be highly successful because of their leadership skills. But I do think it's fascinating. And, and he ended up winning her over. To that point, right? I think that that's one quality of leadership. I think outstanding leaders tend to be very optimistic, not unrealistic, optimistic. And I think he was very optimistic. He had that very can-do personality, very up, almost to a point of annoyance. I don't think he knew that he was brought in there to fail. He thought he was coming in there. This was a challenge. And he was very optimistic that he was going to be able to pull this team. Now, without saying it in his very folksy way, I think Ted Lasso knows that he's a good leader. Yeah. I think it's a great point. I do think you touched on something. That type of leadership style, that positivity, which is a great you know, style, does annoy people. It, it can annoy people. And yet mm-hmm. he did bring the right balance. Um, I mean, let's be honest. If, if you know, he baked cookies every day for, for his boss, if I baked cookies and brought that in every day for you, you'd kill me. That would annoy you to no end. Right, Paul? Like yeah. Just drive her crazy. Agree. Agree. <laughs> But I think it goes to some of the things that we're talking about. But he had great self-awareness, both personally and socially, the ability to recognize. And he truly was trying to coach everybody to the best person they could be. While he didn't win people right away, he garnered that trust. And, you know, he held himself accountable to the things that he said he was going to do. And he had great balance. You mentioned balance. I mean, his partner was the complete opposite of him. And, And they interact so well together. Who's the coach? Um, coach um, uh, Beard? Beard? Coach Beard. Coach Beard. Yeah. You know, they interacted so well together and almost like reading each other's minds. And in great teams, you know, you had that interplay where you're able to kind of roll off each other. And, and, and so while sometimes, you know, excessive positivity can just kind of rub people the wrong way, I think he was self-aware of that. And he never really changed who he was, but he did change his approach. And I think that's key when you, you talk about leadership roles or coaching roles that you recognize the individual, you know, back to Kim's point, you know, all you got to worry about your people. Well, you know, each people is a person. And so you just want to recognize the individuality within that, that person. And so he exhibits that a lot throughout the, the two seasons. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, you know, people look at leaders and it's like, you, you don't, you'll sometimes say, well, they don't treat everybody the same. Well, of course not. You, you need to be fair to everybody. But you don't treat everybody the same because treating everybody the same isn't personalizing your leadership style as you need to. And I think that that's a, a big takeaway from this. The long-term captain Roy needs is very mm-hmm. different than what the young player Sam needs is very different than what that superstar Jamie needs, right? And you could see he approached each of them very differently. And it's a really good example how as a leader, you don't change your standards, you don't change your expectations, accountability, all that stays the same, but the way you interact 
is different based on how the people you're interacting with are going to be most receptive to you, the leader. Yeah, I think it's spot on. I, I do agree that um, you know having the right people on your team, your support staff is critical. It kind of ties into what Kim, you were saying, right? Because it also forces you to think differently too and keeps you in check and knowing that you're going to have to approach yeah. things differently, right? And Coach Beer was kind of like that, the sidekick in the show, but still was kind of like that, that important anchor for lasso as well. You know, and maybe that's, that's one of the, the lessons here. I haven't thought of until we should start talking about this. Who's that person on your team that, that can help anchor you down too, right? Yeah. Kind of- it, it, so Keely, what's really significant about her when you, when you mentioned, um, you know, the anchor, I think is also that, that kind of person that can lead without really wanting to be the leader. But you look at the way she worked the scenes behind the club and was recognized with Rebecca over time as, wow, this person has so many other talents, necessarily doesn't need to be in charge of everything, but really can change it in that the dynamic of how we do things yeah. as an organization. And, you know, kind of really allowed her to blossom without asking her to change anything of who she was. Same personality, mm-hmm. same approach of stuff. But you look at as you move through the show, how she kind of brings out more from the players and the other people she interacts with in a very different way. So part of it is having the right people on the team. I think what's interesting too is Ted spends a lot of time, right, behind the scenes. I know this is like a theme, like getting to know your people, but even with Keely too, I mean, if you think about it, all the magic around Ted Lasso is not out in front. It's not in the, in the press talks or it's on the field. It's all the things he does behind the scenes that most would never even realize. You know, that's the kind of thing, you, you know, I've gotten in discussions with people and they'll say, you know, a good leader motivates me uh-huh. to, to do my thing. I say, you know, I, 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 I get what you're saying and, and ask people to think it this way. Is it really that the leader motivates you or is it the leader creates an environment where you are motivated. I think it's the latter. And I think that for me, you know, that was always something that I tried to do is like, if we create the right environment for people, they're going to excel. And then, you know, you're, you're helping them all along the way, but you can't be responsible to motivate someone. That's innate. Like you either have it or you don't, but I think great leaders create an environment where people wake up in the morning and they're like happy to come to work. And when they get there, they're, they're ready to go. Yeah. And I think he really did that. So to your point, Rob, always working behind the scenes, the magic that's happening. I look at that as that he's, he's cultivating this environment where when the magic does have to happen, the environment's there. And now all the players. Yeah, it is all about the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and creating an environment, which I completely agree. Right? Great leaders do create the environment that allows people to get motivated. And that's a great point Kim makes. Um, you, can't, you can't drag people kicking and screaming in, to be motivated. But if they feel safe in the environment you've created, and they feel like they can venture out and really speak and be who they want to be without repercussions, then you're going to get the best of people. It's so funny when Kim said it, I was thinking back of um, uh, Simon Sinek, the uh, Leaders Eat Laughs, and he talks a lot about environment and safety. And just made me think, I wonder if they've read a lot of stuff from books and, from leadership and principles that we use in our team right. together, because they were so, it was so evident what was being done in the background to, as, they, as they developed characters throughout the two seasons to kind of see them kind of unfold and come out and, and be really strong versions of, of uh, who they were. So, Paul, you, you bring up a really interesting 
thing as I think about it, you know, this idea, how did he create safety? And let's be honest, there are some interesting characters on this show, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at them face value, you're like, oh, that guy's a weirdo, or that guy's a jerk, or that guy. You never see in the show Ted Lasso through facial expression, verbal, anything, body language. He never is passing judgment on anybody. And he's very accepting of everybody in their quirks. And I think to Paul's point, you know, creating that safe environment, I think that's why the show is so refreshing too, right? I wouldn't say it's soft, but it's kind. Mm-hmm. And in this environment, these past couple of years with COVID, with, you know, world events, you know, US events, everything, things have gotten ugly. And I think that's striking to me that you see this very positive situation emerge and, and it's a kind and accepting environment where you can see that he truly wants the best for everybody. And what starts to happen is then everybody starts to want to have the best for everybody. And you watch the team when there are things that they do together throughout the season, it becomes more and more cohesive and they become more and more overtly supportive of each other. And it's kind of like a, um, it just kind of builds on itself and it, it's taking on this very positive life of its own. And so when I look at that idea of safety, Paul, I, I think that's one of the key things in this, that he does create that safe environment. It's very accepting and you just see how the whole thing blossoms. It's a great point too. What, what also is really apparent too is they don't make it so positive where they never fail. You know, they fail. I mean, they don't always succeed and Sometimes they fail miserably because that's life. And right. so I, I think that's what kind of the popularity show, but the draw, because that's real. And when, you, when you're when you in charge of a team, things don't always go your way. It's not the culture you build, but is the culture you build sustainable through the hard times as well as the good times. I think it's a great point. He never changed who he was. And you're right. There was failures. But I do think what, what's important is that non-judgmental approach. I think that's critical. And it's so different than, I don't know about that, both of you, but what I love about the show too is it, it just kind of also flies in the face of traditional coaching, right? Growing up, I don't think I've ever had a coach that came anywhere close to that type of approach. A lot of it was, some of it was demanding and, and the tyranny and, and obviously there was praise and, and recognition too, but times have changed. And I think that's some of the parallels they're making too, that even great coaches are empathetic, non-judgmental. They praise, right? And, you know, they, they approach things with that positivity coaching approach. So it is very interesting. And I think some good reminders too of how times have changed. Yeah, that's no question about it. You see his, his commitment to the process of success. And to Paul's point, process of success, success does have failures. But in establishing this culture, he's confident that they're going to eventually get that consistent result, which he wants is winning. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. the goal of the club. But day in and day out, the way that the show's set up, you see that consistency to the process. He and his assistant coach get a coffee. They walk to work. They go to work. He brings the, you know, the, the boss, her biscuits in the morning. Every day, it's that consistency of showing up and committing to the process, working the plan, and yeah. day in and day out. There's no quick fix for success. And you know what? I'll go back to what you said. Some people do view him as soft. It's just a soft leadership approach. You know, he's really nice. But really, when you dig deeper down to your point, he's relentless. 
he is absolutely relentless mm-hmm. to the point where some people might view him as annoying, but he's not quitting. Nope. He's got his plan and he's full steam ahead and he is relentless, but he just has a quiet approach about it. I look at the power of feedback because whether they realize it or not, that's what he's consistently doing is soliciting feedback on, on everything. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it will, well, okay, we'll do it that way. And it's never just, we're going to do it my way regardless. It's always, you know, feedback from the people around him. The other side of that is the listening skills. Right. So with the feedback and listening, let's be honest, everyone was against him right out of the gate. Everyone, even the people at the pub down, down the street where everyone was against this guy. And again, he was relentless. I think it goes back to Kim, your point, right? There was no judgment. He comes with no ego and he just does a great job of just listening to understanding people and listening to their concerns, asking for feedback. And slowly one by one, he starts to win people over. I think since this is a leadership uh, <laughs> podcast, another very important thing I think for great leaders is authenticity. Yeah. So he has this very folksy Midwestern persona that can almost seem like not intelligent, right? Right. It's disarming. And to your point, his relentless approach to, to what he's doing, coupled with this authenticity of this folksy guy he he gets people to get their their defenses down right and then he you know he makes it happen they they turn to him and they they become on his side and throughout the whole thing he never takes this initial ugliness toward him as personal right he had a very unkind name that they called him at the beginning it's a british name for someone that um you know a guy who's really enjoying himself and they're screaming this and people are walking by him on the street Mm-hmm. calling him this now anybody would be upset but he's just like morning it, it, it seemed that he didn't take any of that personal because i think he understood what the process was and it was committed to i'm going to win them over one mm-hmm. by one one by one so all of these things coming together in this character really are amazing it is mm-hmm. yeah let me ask you this do you think this experiment would work in the real world, meaning we're to take, you know, maybe you take a, uh, a coach and you put him or her in a head of a soccer team. I think it would work. I, I don't know if they've been given enough time. That would be the only thing. It's um, you have to have the leash. And he was good enough in what he did as far as winning people over to Kim's, to Kim's point that he was given time because he kind of earned some trust from his boss, Rebecca. She never really wanted to be the one to have to let him go, but she just wanted to create the environment around him to want to either he quit or the uproar so loud that, he, that there'd be, you know, I have no option. It's really not me. I, I, I'm not the one letting you go. Yeah. And so, you know, I think in today's society, a lot of times are we, are we allowing people the time to not only develop themselves, but to develop their people and, and the process around them. Yeah. I think from a, uh, you know, like putting on like a, an athlete coaching hat, I think at lower levels, uh-huh. this happens all the time, right? Yeah. You know, kids have a middle school kids, there's a soccer team and all of a sudden there's no coach. And then a mom and a dad decide, okay, we'll be the coach. They really don't know a lot about soccer. They get some books. They talk to some people. They run some drills. They can make it happen. There's definitely been times I've seen in college, in high school sports, lower level college sports where this has happened purely out of necessity. Like a coach has a medical issue, can't coach the team. Someone who doesn't have any experience in the sport comes in 
they're a good coach because they're an excellent basketball coach or an excellent field hockey coach. And they can come in and they can apply what they you know, mm-hmm. know from their background to make it happen. I think as the stakes get higher in sports, there's much more accountability, right? And to do something like this would almost get someone like a vote of incompetence as a, you know, an owner of a team or as a GM of a team, a GM of, say, an MLB team that would put a head coach in who had no experience in basketball, it would never happen. They would be fired. The stakes are are too high. But in business, we see it all the time. If you have an organization that has a very organized talent planning process, and we've been in organizations where we've been a part of that. And if you take that very seriously, you are identifying those people who have those transferable skills. And then they get put in another function as the leader, not as a subject matter expert, but to fix a situation where there's been very poor leadership, there's enough subject matter expertise in there to, to make it work, but they need a leader to get that thing on track. So if somebody has, see that. yeah. So if somebody has like just that, they've got the chops, mm-hmm. right? That raw natural leadership ability that they've developed and cultivated over time. And you just throw them into a completely different industry, take over a company, I think if they have those qualities, I think they could probably do it. Time and time again at the CEO level, you know, you'll see one CEO will be in one industry and then they completely switch industries, take over and it happens. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. But I think for the, the good leaders in business, because there's that structure below them and there's definitely subject matter expertise around them. I think it's more plausible in the business world. We, we have lots of examples of where that's happened. And I think there has to be a couple of things. They have to have the right people with them. So for example, like I need my coach beard. I need that person that I, you know, have that proven success with that's keeping me anchored. But to your point, I think the CEO is a great example of this, right? I mean, let's be honest, CEO is not going to be an expert at all the technical skills required in the organization. But if they have the right people under them and they have those natural abilities to lead in the experience, I think you can put one in and move them in and out of any industry. I think they'd probably have the same success. And you're right. There's been examples of that. We have examples. Now, on the flip side too, I'm sure there's some examples that are (laughs) disasters, right? But yeah, it's a bold move. But if you're confident enough, I guess, in the leadership abilities and what that person brings to the table, why not? I think it goes back to what Paul said too. There needs to be enough time to allow that leader to to figure it out. And unfortunately, in today's world, we want results yesterday. In a public company, you are responsible to the shareholders. And a lot of times that drives things. And if the results aren't there, there's an obligation to make those changes to get those results. And the appetite for how long you're going to accept uh, a less than desirable result, a lot of times that appetite is not there for very long. That's true. Very true. All right. Let's wrap up with one more question. I kind of started the uh, episode with one of Ted Lasso's many quotes, and he has uh, several of them. What is your favorite Ted Lasso quote? Paul, I'll start with you. For me, it's uh, be a goldfish. And it maybe comes to, I think it's a lot of people, as you've seen shirts with it, it say be a goldfish. And the quote's a little deeper. The situation in the show is it's Sam, who plays a, 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 as a defensive position, is constantly getting beat by the, the star, one of the stars, Jamie, who is very brash and very outspoken. And every time he beats him, he's, you know, he's all, all over Sam and, and destroying his confidence. And so what Ted does is he pulls Sam aside and he, he gives him a lesson, talks about what animal, and I'm paraphrasing, what animal has the shortest memory. 
I don't know, coach. He said, go for a goldfish, Sam. I need you to be a goldfish. And he just <laughs> right. smiles at him. All right. So, so the quote, the goldfish quote, I got the list here in front of me is, you know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? It's got a 10 second memory. So that's your, that's your favorite quote. Yeah. To get over adversity in life, mm -hmm. you need to have that 10 second memory. So you need to be a goldfish and, and not, you need to learn from your mistakes, but they just don't need to consume you. And, and that was his point to Sam. It's like, look, you've got to get beat. Yeah. It's a game. That's what happens. Be a goldfish. Yeah. Kim, what about you? Um, I like that one a lot too. Um, but there's another one there and it said, um, the quote is, as the man said, the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's just kind of like a life lesson back from my father and watching sports and in life. He's like, Kim, there really isn't luck. The harder you work, you're going to create your own breaks. You're going to create your own opportunities. And I think that is a, a terrific quote that, you know, you can sit around and hope that you get a break. But if you're present, you're in the game and you're out there, giving it 100% every day, day in and day out, you're going to get a couple breaks along the way just because you're present so much of the time. And I think that that's a super quote, something to just focus on because, yeah, everybody gets some good breaks, everybody gets some bad breaks, but you've got to be pushing and keep at it, keep at it, keep at it for the breaks to happen. So that that was another one in addition to the goldfish uh, quote yeah. that resonated with me. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I struggle with this as well. I mean, there's so many great quotes out there. Yeah. This is one I kind of landed on. Your body is like day old rice. If it ain't warmed up properly, something real bad could happen. And the reason for that is because uh, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but as we're recording this, I'm in the middle of delivering some feedback workshops for a client. So of course, my mind is all around teaching some of the concepts around preparing and diagnosing the scenario and how to prepare for that conversation. So that's kind of what came into my mind is like, you know, you've got to warm yourself up for this. Otherwise, it can go real bad if you're not prepared. It's like giving feedback, you got to prepare your rice. Got to put the time in. Otherwise, it can go real bad for you. So oh, that's my gosh. Your, your people are going to be like, why is Rob Ponte talking about rice? Uh, rice. I know. I know. Again, I warned. <laughs> so I warned all of you out there. This was going to be on Ted Lasso. We weren't joking. So there it is. Although a lot of great lessons that we talked about, a lot more than, than I actually thought that that comes to mind. And we'll put a lot of that in, in the show notes for everyone as we summarize some of the key takeaways there. But if you haven't watched the show, highly recommend it. There, there's definitely a lot of great leadership lessons there that are packaged in a, in a very funny way. You know, I think one other thing, Rob, as, you, as we're wrapping up to think about, and this again, as a, as a newer manager of people, frontline manager, you know, this idea of creating an environment where people have fun. And it doesn't mean that if you're having fun, People aren't working hard and they're not serious. And I think in, in our time together, when we worked on a team, it was a team that was kind of getting over 40 people at a time. Mm -hmm. We always had a good time and people would comment. I swear we just, people would just come to where we worked just to see what was going on. They hear the laughter, people engaged, all the things that we did, but People enjoyed it and had fun coming to work. You can never underestimate that. And in his quirky way, he created a very fun environment. And I think if you look at managers who have highly engaged teams and, you know, people who are in a, in a positive place in the work environment, that they're having fun at what they do. Ted created that kind of fun environment for his team. And I think that's a huge takeaway from this. Well said. All right. Well, I appreciate you both coming on. 
and helping uh, talk through this. I think it was a great discussion. A lot of lessons learned. Appreciate you both. Yep. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from it. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast. Mm-hmm.